here to do an online choices market presentation with Balance Wellbeing with Sean McRae. So we're super happy that we can um, present this in an online format rather than being here in person. True, I'd much prefer to be in person with you all. I'm a hugger, so my arms are feeling a little bit lost at the moment. <laughs> but you know, I'm okay to be here with you online as well. It feels a bit strange talking to nobody, but I'm sure somebody's watching out there. <laughs> Okay, so what I want to talk about today is um, my book, um, some of the process in my book called Metrotron's Code, the writing's backwards, but it's about demystifying belief systems. And it's a process that I worked through myself that I discovered that is a pattern on how our belief systems sit together. So let me demonstrate. I'm a bit of a drawer. So between the ages of zero and seven is when we pick up 90% of our programming. So imagine 90% of our programming. Imagine we've got like 70,000 thoughts a day, over 70,000 thoughts. And imagine each one of them has a belief attached to it. I've seen if I can write backwards, that's seven. <laughs> the text is the, is the mirror image, it's the other way around. So we're kind of born and we have this like clean slate and then we start picking up all of our programming from our peers around us and, and people and, and things that happen around us in our experiences. So between the ages of zero and seven, we actually pick up like approximately 90% of our belief systems, our programming, and that serves us for the rest of our life. It's kind of like we live off automatic programming then for the rest of our life until we actually look at our programming and start to bring awareness about it and change it if it doesn't suit us anymore. But most of this programming is taken on out of protection and safety and just to keep keep us well when it's, when it's collated. But then of course over time it can, it can not work for us. So um, this is where we start to trip ourselves up with our beliefs and, and sabotage. So uh, Bruce Lipton says there's about 70% of this programming is self-sabotaging which is quite interesting to say that 70,000 thoughts, 70% of that is self-sabotaging, unless we have this awareness where we can tap into it and change it. So what happens with these beliefs is we, ha uh, we have the belief and the programming, and then we create a scenario around it to support it, to make it true. And then that happens again and again and again and again. And it keeps happening to show us the program, the pattern in, in, in what this, this core information is, what the belief is around the story. So um, imagine this happening over 70,000 times. <laughs> we end up with a lot of experiences, a lot of noise and a lot of, a lot of energy in there. And we get to a point where we start, the, the programs, the story gets bigger and louder and more uncomfortable um, if it's something in here that's not so helpful to us. And we get to a point where we start to look at other people's programming. It's easier to see other people's programming than it is to see our own. So you'll see that girl that has the same boyfriend over and over and over again. It's like she finishes with one boyfriend and she starts with another boyfriend who is exactly the same person or uh, vice versa. Or that person that has the same patterns around money. I'm sure Sean has seen that a million times where people have the same patterns around money and they keep creating the same situation over and over again. Different circumstances, same situation, same outcome. And it's because of this belief, this programming that's in the middle of it creates this story around it. And we end up calling people in to behave a certain way or we perceive the behave a certain way to make this, this belief true as well. So it gets to a point where we can see other people's patterns and we're like, ah, I can clearly see where they have this pattern. So then we start to look internally and go, well, if they've got a pattern with that and this keeps happening to me over and over and over again, maybe there's a pattern in, in my 
a programming that doesn't quite fit with me and then we can start looking once we've got the awareness of this pattern because quite often we can live these patterns and we can going on and on and on and on and we have this question of like why does this keep happening but we don't stop with enough awareness to drill all the way in to the center belief and figure out what, what actually is happening in that moment so until it gets to a point where it gets really uncomfortable and we say okay i've really got to pay attention now quite often we don't and we get so busy with our lives we like we'll go well i'm going to take care of myself and i'm going to start paying attention when the kids are a certain age or when um when this job finishes or when this happens or when i get to a certain point or when i've made so much money like we we kind of put conditions on taking care of ourselves and these conditions end up becoming the noise around us and we we, we stop doing this we stop doing this process because we just get too busy and distracted with life and that's where i believe part of the reason of, of what's happening right now is this is a really great opportunity for us all to stop right most of us have got no choice but to stop a lot more than we we had before so some of the distractions yes we've got mass distractions around the world but the whole world's come to a standstill so it's given us this opportunity to come to a stop and really sit in the stillness and really observe where we are and i believe for a lot of us it's like a reset button well what we default to now in this time is will be our new default so what are we paying attention to right now like where what's what do we figure out was important when when things like this happen in the world it kind of gives us an opportunity to look at what's really important and we might find that the things that we found were important three four weeks ago are just not just not important to us anymore it changes everything right it's like wow that thing that i was so concerned about now i'm not i'm not at all bothered about it doesn't matter in fact i can let it go so what ends up happening is with all of these um, beliefs going on and on and on, we end up getting to a point where we, we become overloaded with it all and we can't cope. And it's the point where I call the crash. And what happens at this point is like um, something happens to jar us into this stillness, to, to make us pay attention, to make us wake up. And I, I think it's like our soul's um, uh, defense mechanism. It's that button that says, hey, you better change something because this is not working. Um, so it's something that gives us that opportunity to come to a standstill. It, it may be illness or divorce or uh, near-death experience people have had, like as extreme as that, or an accident or illness, um, bankruptcy, any one of these things that is like a life-changing pivotal moment where we have to literally sit and go, my life is not working the way it is. I need to stop and pay attention. And this crash happens at that point. And at that point, we get the opportunity to come to the standstill and reset. And we can ignore it. We can at that stage go, I'm just going to pretend this is not happening. I am not willing to go into these thoughts and these belief systems. And that's entirely our choice. And then we, we go on to like numbing. It's like, yes, we watch Netflix and we'll watch three three shows of Netflix and after three shows of Netflix even Netflix judges us and says are you still watching <laughs> it's like it's that point where you go like am I still watching yes I'm still watching I've zoned out for three episodes of whatever whatever thing we're watching whatever series we've we've kind of like numbed out to but if we do start to numb, if we do choose to numb instead of paying attention to what's going on and making some changes, then we have to get really good at it because the three shows on Netflix become not, not enough to numb. So we have to start eating at the same time. Like, so we'll have a bag of chips and they'll go and um, internet shopping, like uh, you name it. There's, there's lots of ways where we numb ourselves to distract ourselves from hearing, from paying attention to this noise, but it gets louder. So the more, if we choose to numb ourselves, we actually end up numbing ourselves more and more and more. 
Whereas we can actually take the easy route. <laughs> Believe it or not, the easy route is just to go in and pay attention to what the messages are, dissolve the messages, dissolve all of the, the experiences around that and change it to a new experience. At first, it can be a bit difficult and a bit challenging to do that, which is why sometimes we just decide to stay distracted rather than go into this. So I really recommend if there's something that you really find that is a pattern that's being created over and over again, and you uh, finding that you prefer to distract yourself than actually go into it, reach out and get somebody's help. Like call me at any time and just say, look, is this a pattern? Could this be a pattern? Could this be a belief system? Sometimes there's one belief in this story. Sometimes there's more than one belief in this story. I had, um, a uh, gentleman that I was working with and he came with this massive story and he was like, you know, this happened and that happened and he was going on and on and on about the story and I said, hang on a minute, I've got the three beliefs, let's work on the three beliefs. And he said, no, 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 I want to finish my story. I said, well, I'll tell you what, let's make a deal. Let's work on the three beliefs and then you can finish the story after, okay? And he went, okay, reluctantly, okay, let's do it. So we worked on the three beliefs and then we went, uh, we'd finished um, working on the three beliefs and afterwards I said, you know, okay, free time like you can tell me the rest of your story and he said ah doesn't matter all the energy had gone out of the story the story wasn't important anymore and he got to create a new story and the new story is much more helpful so anything that fuels us with this like um burning uh, uh this is not working for me or you know quite often it's either money <laughs> relationships or health that is the recurring thing that takes us in time and time and time again to really pay attention to what's going on. And it's like, we might say, well, I've worked on that money issue. I've done 20 beliefs on that money issue and it's still happening. And it's, like, it's like varying degrees of the same stuff that we need to go through to clear. And it's, it's kind of like, like we've made this mess over our lifetime. So we have to clean it, clear it back up, not clean it. It's not a judgment, but we have to clear it back up to give us space. Because what ends up happening is like our authentic self ends up being out here. So our authentic self is like the kind of the person that we pretend to be. And it's not that we are pretending to be, it's not that we're not that thing that we pretend to be, but it feels like a pretense because we've got to get through all of this noise to get there. And then we start to get sad because we feel like we're, we've, we can feel this energy to get through to our authentic self. And it's like, I'm, I'm not being who I really truly want to be, or I'm behaving the way that I truly want to behave, but it doesn't feel quite right. And it doesn't feel quite right because we've got this mass in the middle. And it's like once we start clearing some of these, um, these stories and clearing some of these, these ways that don't serve us, the belief systems that don't serve us and the um, programming that doesn't serve us, then it starts to clear a path so we can get closer to our authentic self and live who we're truly meant to be. And that's when things start coming in where we'll... Um, I remember when I started working on these processes, like I, I was in a place where I was really sick. I, I had hypothyroidism and adrenal fatigue so bad I couldn't lift my head off the sofa after seven o'clock at night. I was obese and I'd lost my connection with myself, my authentic self. The person I was pretending to be felt very far away. I was still pretending to be this person, but it, it felt so far away. It felt so far removed from who I truly was. And even working through this process, like quite often I didn't know what I was doing or why I was doing it. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this thing. I'm working every day, but like, just tell me why I'm doing it. What is my purpose? And it wasn't until the end of the six years that I realized what I'd been doing for the last six years. At some point I thought that I was, I had no idea where I was or was I on the right journey? Was I on the right path? And I had no idea at some points. I just kept walking, just kept walking the walk and walking the walk. And then at the end of it, I looked back and went, oh, there really was a purpose to everything. 
but at the time I didn't know that. So at my crash, it was literally the point where I woke up one morning um, thinking I'm not going to survive another day of this. Like I, I can't survive with this adrenal fatigue and this, this um, hypothyroidism. Like I was exhausted all the time. I was dragging myself through the day. And it had just got to that point where I'm, I'm, I really thought I'm not going to survive this. And it was in that moment where I realized that I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was going to survive it, that I made a choice. Up until that point, I didn't actually realize I had a choice to live. I didn't realize I had a choice to survive. I didn't realize I had a choice to thrive. So up until that point, I'd been kind of existing and working through this mire and like pretending everything's okay. Like on the outside, I had a fantastic life. And I did, like I was, I was happy with my life. It's just that internally, I, I wasn't so happy because all of this noise was going on. So I made the choice um, that morning when I realized I wasn't going to survive the way I was living, that I made a choice to live. And it was like, it was like this decision just shifted something in me. I was like, no, I, I actually didn't realize up until this point I had a choice, but now I do. And my choice is to live. And my choice is not only to live, it's to survive. And my choice is not only to survive, it's to thrive. I want to live the life. I want to be the example for my kids that, um, that really shows them how to live. I want to demonstrate this great life. So I started a process. I'd always been fascinated with hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming. And I'd studied um, a lot of hypnosis and neuro-linguistic programming. And um, I'd been on the path of like personal development and, you know, like the Anthony Robbins and all of the, the great speaking uh, positive gurus. But the positive thinking just wasn't quite working for me. And it was like, yeah, I can do all these affirmations and I can, I can follow the steps and the success steps and these steps and Anthony Robbins speaker and, and all the other speakers, I can follow them all. But it, it, there was something not working for me. And it's because my, my automatic programming in here was, was so congested with things that didn't serve me. So I, start, I decided that I was going to take an NLP practitioner's course. I was like, I want to study this to the point where I really master it. Um, and this was the start of my, my journey of getting well. So I understood that the cell, <laughs> I've got a kitty, I've got a kitty that likes to come and work with me. So if, if a little kitten just comes flying across the front of my screen, <laughs> you know what he is. <laughs> so I understood that in the cells, in each one of our cells, we, there is 99.999% space. We know this from science, right? Nothing is as it seems, nothing is solid. And I studied Resonance Academy, actually, with uh, Nassim Haramin, and um, he talks about the, the quantum aspects of science, where if we, if we squished the entire world and removed all the space from the world and squished it into one mass, it would only be the size of a one centimeter cube sugar cube. But it would be so dense, it would drop all the way through the earth, like it would be so heavy. But can you imagine the entire mass of the world being only the size of a sugar cube? Like it's, it's crazy. And it means, it means that everything that is in, is in our existence in this material world is less than 1% of what's really there. When you think about that, like it totally, when you really just sit in that, in that, that understanding, like it blows your mind. It's like, it means that everything in our existence is less than 1%. What else is out there that we don't know about? So I decided I was going to go and study neurolinguistic programming. And I got very clear on, on the mental body, on, on like what, what uh, happens in our thoughts, like how our thoughts are like, uh, we, we become entrenched. We're entrenched with our, our automatic programming. So our brain is literally like a forest. 
it's like if we're walking through a forest, we will take the path of least resistance. So will our brain. So we will walk the path that is most, most trod. We're not going to cut through the trees. We're just not going to do that. We're going to walk through the path. It makes common sense. And our mental body, our pathways, our brain pathways do the same thing. We literally follow the path that is most tread. And it becomes our automatic and it becomes what we just do. And uh, there's no awareness on it. So imagine we live like 70% of our life from this automatic programming. I think it's more actually, I think it's about 90% of our life we actually live on this automatic programming unless we really pay attention, we get really conscious. So I started looking, I did my practitioner's course and, and I was like amazed at uh, what thoughts were in my mind that I hadn't really paid attention to. And I started to get really smart about it and really consistent about it, looking at my thoughts, looking at how, what they were saying, looking at how, how they presented in my mind and what they created in my life. And I was actually amazed at how many toxic thoughts I had and I had no idea. Before this point, before I really started paying attention, I had no idea that most of my thoughts were toxic until I started paying attention and I was like, whoa, these, these thoughts might have worked for me when I was like between zero and seven. Now they're not working for me anymore. It's, it's time to change them. So I actually started working on my mental body, working on my own toxic thoughts and reframing the, um, uh, the uh, suppositions that I had in my mind and really working on my mental body. And I started to get better. I started to feel better. So this journey was kind of like deliberate. <laughs> when I look at it at the end, it was kind of like I was deliberately led down this path. <laughs> at the time, as I say, I had no idea. But working on my own mental body, I began to realize that um, the beliefs also sat in our physical body. And I started to get nudged. I was following my intuition by this point. And I was starting to get nudged to take care of my physical body. So... Um, I was living on a mountain at 5,500 feet and I got nudged to start running and I was like you want me to start running like on this mountain you can hardly breathe I was like, okay so of course it started off slowly I was still um, I was still very overweight but I started off slowly and I had to run uh, to a lamppost and walk to a lamppost and run to a lamppost and walk to a lamppost and before I knew it I could actually run five kilometers uphill and five kilometers downhill it took a while and to say it was 5,500 feet. So the, the high elevation is quite low on, on oxygen. So it's hard to breathe sometimes. And then I got a nudge to do more. And I was like, I, I tried running that twice a day. I nearly killed myself. <laughs> I was like, I can't do that. <laughs> so I got the nudge to, to go up, to go higher. And I was like, that I can do. So I was woken up at five o'clock in the morning, every morning. And I would literally wake, wake up, jump out of bed, grab my dog, get dressed and, and out the door I'd go. So five o'clock every morning, six days a week, uh, I would run the mountain and I'd be up at the top of the mountain completely on my own by like six o'clock in the morning. Um, it was from 5,500 feet to like nearly 8,000 feet, the, the elevation. And I started to get physically fit. So my mental body was clearing up and my physical body was clearing up. And um, I started to be able to get healthier and healthier. And things started to shift in my life. And there were some examples in the book, like the book talks about like how I went through the process of discovering all six bodies and, and what, um, what they mean and then tools on how to actually look at your own bodies and how to work through the beliefs in each, each of your bodies. And there was a particular example where um, I'd been running the mountain 
and my youngest son said to me do you want to do the chairlift challenge which was a challenge to run to the top of every chairlift uh, um, in big white ski resort and I was like okay like I'm running the mountain anyway let's do it so my only goal was to get it under two two hours so we set off this morning and we started running and um, my youngest son was 11 at the time and he was like halfway off. He was like nearly vomiting going, mom, this is terrible. How do you do this? I'm like, it's okay, just vomit and we'll keep going. <laughs> and we got to the top and he, he overtook me at the top and then we're coming back down and Sam was totally conscious about his time. And um, in my journey of climbing the mountain every day, there was a particular tree that I stopped at three quarters of the way up the hill. I'd stop at this tree and it wasn't a particularly pretty tree, but it was like my tree. And I would stop and meditate at it every morning. And so this day of the chairlift challenge, we ran the other direction than what I, I usually ran. And we got to this, this point where I was like, hang on a minute, where's my tree? And I looked up to see where my tree was and we were right at it. And as I looked up, I went over on my ankle and sat there in absolute pain like I, I went into tears I couldn't walk I couldn't get back on my my feet I was like oh no I'm not going to finish this race this is terrible so Sam was conscious of his time and I said like please go leave me here I'm okay like if I need help I'll, I'll call out for help so reluctantly he, he did leave me and we both had cell phones and so you could contact him and I sat there at this tree and went hang on a minute usually I do this run on my own completely with nobody knowing where I was this day I had access to emergency services. I had access to water. There was like um, um, firefighters all over the mountain and ski patrollers all over the mountain that could actually help me get off the mountain if I needed to. So it felt like there was no coincidence that that day was the day that I actually had an injury. So I decided to pay attention and I sat with it and I went in, dropped into the space in my ankle and realized it had a very clear message for me. And I said, okay, I've got the message, thank you. Please sit to one side now so I can continue the race and then I will come back to you and I will, I will figure out this belief. I will work on it, this belief that's, in, that's trapped in this area. So I stood up and started walking a little bit trepid at first and then um, gained traction and started walking a bit faster and started running. And I finished the race five minutes before, five minutes after my son at uh, an hour 45. So I still got under my two hours and I was like, oh my gosh, I just burst in tears. I, I was a cool mom that day. Sam was at the, <laughs> Sam was at the finish line waiting for me and cheering me going, yay mom, you finished it even though you hurt yourself. This is amazing. And I just burst into tears because like only like a year and a half before that, I was in a state where I really didn't think I was going to survive my, my condition. And here I was running a, a pretty grueling, um, uh, challenge. It was, it was pretty athletic. So I realized that our beliefs sit in our physical body as well and that we really have to pay attention to where the beliefs sit in our physical body and what the message is in our physical body. I had an example a week after that where I was cooking dinner and I put the dinner in, in the oven and I burnt my arm on the element of the oven and it actually stuck. It was like that much of a burn. And I was like, okay, I need to use my tools that I've just um, learned and I need to sit with this physical burn. So I said to the kids, just give me an hour, took some water, went and sat in my bedroom and drilled into the pain and I'd drop into it and pay attention to it, get the message, take a breath, go back into it, get the message, take a breath go back into it and I just kept doing that over and over and over again and sometimes the pain would just sear it was so painful I really didn't want to go into it but the, the more I stayed with it the less it the less it, it, it the less severe it was 
and I couldn't believe it the next morning when I woke up, there was this tiniest mark on my arm. Like there was no, like there was no scolding. There was no blister. There was just this tiniest mark on my arm. And it really made me understand that we can heal ourselves. So when I discovered that I'd been, I had hypothyroidism, I was told I'd be on medication for the rest of my life and I'd be sick for the rest of my life. And I said, no, I don't think so. And the doctor said, yes, you will. And I said, I don't think so. I don't, I choose not to believe that. And he said, oh, you're one of them, are you? And I said, yeah, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. And this gave me absolute proof that it could be done. So I continued on this path of like healing myself. I, I did do other things. Like I, I started dropping, um, as I was like removing the toxins from my mental brain, I was also removing the toxins from my physical, uh, physical body. So I actually became vegan for nine months and I was only drinking alkaline water. I wasn't drinking anything else but alkaline water. I'm not vegan anymore, but I did during that time, I had to clean up all the toxins from my body that had come from my, my toxic thoughts. So I kind of thought that I'd got it down pat by then. And then they were like, no, there's another body. My pen's run out. Let me just grab another pen. And they're like, nope, there's another body. Isn't that interesting? We move on to another body in another color. <laughs> and that was the emotional body. So coming from a coal mine in town, <laughs> we weren't really encouraged to show our emotions and we weren't really encouraged to be and sit with our emotions. So this turned out to be a pretty big challenge for me to actually go into the belief and go, okay, I understand the thoughts around it. I understand where it is in my body to go into the emotional body and really feel the feelings around it was a bit of a struggle. So it took a while. And then there was another body, like the spiritual understanding, like our, our um, awareness of this story, this story that we create around the bodies, like this story, the awareness of where it came from. Did it come from my parents? Did it come from me? Did it come from an experience that I brought? Um, sometimes it's from a perceived past life. Sometimes it's through many generations. It can be through seven generations that's carried from our grandparents, our parents, to us. And if we don't actually deal with it in this moment, we can pass it down to our children. So it's imperative that we do this work now for ourselves so that we can shift it for our kids and our grandkids. And then they showed me the internal representation, like how we store these beliefs, how we see ourselves in these beliefs, and the external representation, how we present ourselves to the world with these beliefs intact. And creating this story, we pull in people, objects, experiences, environments, places, things, animals, nature, and they all entangle. So I could intentionally see this as a spider's web, but it's not the spider's web, it is the Metatron's cube, which is the shape on my book. Here's the cellular memory in the middle with the judgments, observations, perceptions, the six bodies around it, and then the story and the six things that we call in to support it. Um, so this cube is actually sacred geometry. It's been around since goodness knows when, since the beginning of time. It is like the sacred geometry, it's like the numbers of all things and the intention, it's on here too. <laughs> the intention of the Metron's cube is that it is the creation of all things. So once we have something in this pattern, it just creates. And the universe doesn't care whether it's helpful or un unhelpful, good or bad, only we have that judgment. So it's up to us to change the beliefs that we, we deem are uncomfortable or are unhelpful to us. And then we can create the new pattern and put in the new information in the shape. So these, this pattern, the beliefs in this pattern, and then it recreates again and again and again and again and again. And this is why it creates so much energy and so much noise and so much intensity and why it needs to get louder. It 
it's like the person coming and knocking on the door knowing that you're inside keeps knocking on the door until you pay attention right if you don't come and open the door this time we're going to knock louder we're going to knock louder and we're going to knock louder the stories get bigger and bigger and more uncomfortable until you stop and go okay i'm going to pay attention what is this core message and quite often when we change the core message and we go into each one of the six bodies to change the information in each one of the six bodies then the story just changes completely when we burn all the entanglement there is attached to everybody and we say well this is all hearsay and it's all make-believe and actually the quantum scientists and the neuroscientists are actually coming together now to start to prove some of this stuff and they can actually film the energetic cord between two people it's kind of like the curlian cameras that that film the um, aura they can actually see that intentionally there is an, an energetic cord so it's like when you think of that person and then the phone the phone or you think of that person and a couple of days later you see them it's kind of like when we have this entanglement we we call people in to behave a certain way or we perceive that they behave a certain way and it just changes our entire experience so we can work on a belief and change it from something that's unhelpful to something that's helpful our entire story changes and 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 seemingly people change in front of our in front of our eyes it's like we don't work on ourselves to change other people but we it, inevitably it does change relationships because we see people a different way it's like well we have the unhelpful belief in our in our awareness in our in our um six bodies and in this pattern and then we see through through the glasses of the lenses of those glasses and that's all we can see so we if we have a belief that um let um, me think of an example uh, where people are mean to me i have a belief that people are mean to me then that's all i can see around around me and people will come and behave with with me or interact with me and i will only perceive that they're being mean to me even if they're not, until we change this core information. And when we change this core, from core information and people, uh, people care about me, the same person can approach us one day and we can think that they're mean and they can approach us the next day and then we think that they're caring, it's bizarre. So it literally changes. And our, we, th we think that our internal thoughts, we think that in this body our internal thoughts are inside and nobody knows what they are. Well, here's the thing, we've got these things called mirror neurons. And mirror neurons actually mirror, it's how babies learn, it's how we learn everything. We mirror what is um, presented to us. So when we smile at a baby, it's not like the baby says consciously says, oh, that person's really nice, I better smile back. The mirror neurons kick in and tell the baby what this expression is and tell this baby what the expression means. And then they mirror the same action. So if I've got a look on my, if I've got a, a thought in my mind that somebody is being mean to me, it shows on my face. And the other person will react to that without even knowing. All of this happens automatically. It all happens like in split seconds, our brain makes decisions. We've got um, an area in our brain that creates uh, what we call a best fit file. What we say in neuroscience is a best fit file. And the best fit file is based on all of our perceptions and all of our understandings of what we've created around this experience. So somebody might walk into a room in a bad mood and immediately we know they're in a bad mood. We know they're in a the bad mood because our mirror neurons uh, match the um, expression and say, this expression means this to me. And then it will bring out the best fit file on what this scenario is. So it's, it's why we, different people can react at different ways to different situations because this best fit file will literally come out and say, this is how I behave, this is how I react in this situation. And it happens so instantly, we don't even know. So we can, um, 
when we start to pay attention and really pay attention, it, it starts to shift things like this. We have this, um, the best fit file also searches for what the likeness is in somebody else. So we'll go, um, it's like when you have conversations with people, we're, we're trying to find that likeness that makes us belong because we all want to belong. So we'll talk about where, where are you from? Oh, you're from Kelowna. Oh, whereabouts in Kelowna do you live? Oh, I live um, downtown. Oh, I live in downtown too. We're looking for that thing that makes us both fit. And when we've got that thing that makes us both fit, then we feel like we belong. And the human race needs to belong. We need to connect and we need to feel like we belong. And if we don't feel like we belong, we're lost. So we look for ways to feel like we belong. And how we do that is by, we can start rewriting this best fit file. So we can kind of go, well, I know that when somebody walks in the room and they've got glasses on, I behave like this. Why is this? Because my best fit file tells me that, glass, that people wearing glasses behave a certain way. And we can start to pay attention with that and literally reframe our best fit file and reframe the things that uh, we think and we, we, uh, we reframe certain scenarios in and we can literally change the way we behave. And then because we are more open, we believe that we belong. People are more approachable. We are more approachable to other people. I played with this um, uh, running in the city and one day I was like, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to find the best fit file. I'm going to find the like, like in somebody. And I started the first, first week. I was like, first of all, I'm going to do dislike. And I would scan somebody and say, I don't like that about this person. And they would mostly ignore me and I'd go running past them and mostly they wouldn't see me uh, with the odd exception. And then the next week I practice with, I'm going to find the like, like, and I just scan them and find something I liked. I like that about that person. I like this about this person. And the, the difference was really quite amazing. They'd look up and say, good morning. So from one week where I experimented, people would kind of ignore me and not see me. And it would just, would just pass each other in the morning. And then the next week where I was literally finding the like, like, so that we could belong together. I could create this sense of belonging. They'd literally look up and say good morning <laughs> I was like what this is like magic <laughs> so I try and practice that as much as possible <laughs> so play with it try it and like you can see people right now where there's like um there's some of the population are, are, are really um doing well and and they're starting to evolve in a different way they're starting to find their new normal and their new default and then there are other people you can see how people are, are not feeling so comfortable and how they're that connection is just missing right so it's really important right now that we are connecting with ourselves and really important right now that we're creating connection with other people so we're reaching out to people to say hey are you okay is there anything i can do for you even just a, a phone call or a quick touch in to see if somebody's okay means a million dollars it really does it's really important especially right now so uh, there are lots of beliefs Simon say there's 70,000 thoughts. <laughs> there's lots of beliefs for us to work through. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. It took me, um, it took me a few years to go through, through the whole, the whole six bodies. It took me six years to go through the whole thing. Um, I, I did heal my hypothyroidism and adrenal fatigue. I'm no longer sick. I get my levels tested every year to make sure that, um, that it's still the case. Like I'm not completely burying my head in the sand. My levels are okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. Um, so I haven't taken any medication for four years and I'm still doing good. So I know whenever that there's something going on in my body that I need to stop and pay attention to it because there's a story in there for me and it's a gift. 
and we forget to remember that we, we usually we go into the judgment of it and we forget to realize that it's just a communication our emotions and our our things are just indicators when we ignore the fuel light in the car and we keep driving the car runs out of fuel right that's exactly what happens to us we run out of fuel Whereas if we just watch the blinker and say, hey, there's a warning light, what's it telling us? Then we can start paying attention. We can start clearing up some of this stuff and living our true authentic life that we're supposed to be living. It's magic. <laughs> and it's simple. It's super simple. So yes, my book does go through all six bodies, the journey of all six bodies. And then there's tools on, on how to work through um, the six bodies at the moment. Um, um, how the tool, like really simple tools on how to effectively get in and change the communication so we can change the story. And then there's a, a couple of chapters about relationships and how we can um, start to improve the relationships around us using some of this information and healing ourselves and the story within ourselves and then taking that out to improve our relationships with people around us uh, so the book is available on amazon i'll try and post a link somewhere on on this video afterwards and if you're in Kelowna, if you want to reach out and private message me and tell me you want a copy i'll i'll get one to you <laughs> you can't go to the shops right now but i can deliver one to you it's no problem <laughs> Okay, so my website and my uh, Facebook is Marie Marching Coaching and Counseling. Uh, if you've got any questions, please reach out. We normally have this like question answer time. With um, usually when I do this live, we'll we'll actually drop into a belief and we'll work through it. It's pretty difficult for me to do when I can't see you, but um, if you want to work through that process, just reach out to me and we can have a chat. Okay, all right, so. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you for watching me. Thank you, Shauna. Thank you, Choices Market, for being so flexible. And I'm sure we'll see you again. I'm looking forward to doing this again in person when we, when we can all be together again. <laughs> okay, take care, everybody. Thanks for being here tonight. Okay, bye-bye.